Well, today I'm going to do appendix number two. Appendix number one of the Grace Upon Grace series was uh, was four people in our in our fellowship giving their testimonies about moving from Grace Plus attitudes, motivations, and theologies into an experience with God of Grace Upon Grace. Uh, most just by human nature. Uh, part of our sin nature is it, when God saves us by grace, we come to him in total need and total humility and so forth. Then we begin to perfect ourselves by works. That was the problem the Galatians had. It was why Jesus spent so much time blasting the Pharisees. Some people, I believe, misread the Gospels thinking Jesus didn't love the Pharisees. I think he loved them greatly and knew that their only hope was to... Uh, was to uh, for him to blast the religion out of them and hopefully reach them by by uh, giving them sharp uh, things to think about. So, um, we're this grace upon grace series. I'm not going to review much, but I, I what I'm going to do uh, today is give us um, kind of a, a uh, an appendix number two, which is. Um, Three Grace Christian Fellowship grace-producing resources. Three Grace Christian Fellowship. You might say spiritual impartation or spiritual formation resources. One of the issues that's really uh, talked about a lot in Christian circles today is how do we do spiritual formation? Thousands and thousands are going to churches, and almost all churches are are aware that... um, the gap between what we know as Christians and we profess and, and we believe as Christians and what we're living is growing greater and greater. In other words, people are, they're not able to hold their marriages together. They're not able to discipline their finances to, to stay within their means and pay their bills on time. They're not able to treat one another right. They're not able to work through conflict in a positive way. More and more, the, the character of Christ is lagging behind what our profession is. And so, uh, you know, lots of churches are having discussions and actually major groups are having conferences on spiritual formation. How do you form a disciple? How does the life of Christ get formed in someone who's coming out of darkness and and growing and progressing on a journey into light? And really, that's what this Grace series is all about. In chapter 1, which was called grace and perspective, the importance and meaning of grace, we, we talked about how the average definition of grace is that grace um, is undeserved favor or unmerited favor. But grace is so much more. Grace is God's covenant with us. Grace is in Jesus Christ. Grace is relational. But most of all, grace empowers, motivates, and equips us to become like Christ. It, we're, we're not only saved by grace, but we're, we grow by grace, we're sustained by grace, and, we'll, and God will finish the work in us by grace. So in, in number two, we looked at grace plus theologies, all the different ways we don't build on grace, stay motivated by grace, and so forth, that we switch over to self-effort. Now we, we tend to use the word works, but I think it's a little bit like one of the secrets I had when I was coaching little kids in baseball 
is I thought back to all the little phrases they used that the kids actually have no idea what it means <laughs> when, when I was a you know, little leaguer. And they'd go, uh, you got a piece of it. Now get the whole thing. Or you're, you're, uh, straighten out the apple. Or, <laughs> what, what does that mean? <laughs> you know, I didn't even bring any apples. But uh, so that was a, you know, a can of corn. Uh, you know, that's a baseball phrase. And uh, Tony probably would appreciate that one. But, um, you, you know, uh, when we talk about works, what we're actually talking about is a performance base that the initiative and the sustaining is based on our ability to do well. And the average Christian, we sing lots of songs about, I will never leave you. That, that's frankly ridiculous. I... I always encourage people to change those songs to he will never leave us because we would leave him in a heartbeat if it wasn't for his sustaining grace. So I've decided to follow Jesus. Wonderful. But uh, you, we should probably sing by the grace of God. I hope I've decided to follow Jesus. I intend to decide to follow Jesus and, and I need him to help me and continue to decide to follow Jesus. That's really reality of the reality of grace. Um, all these songs that profess our commitment to God really need to be added that by his help, by his grace, uh, apart from him, we can do nothing. So that's what we talked about in grace plus theologies. Last week, we started in on growing in grace. I was really off my game last week. A lot of people were missing and, and it was the, what do you call it? The daylight savings time and so forth. So I'm actually going to redo that one next week. But today I wanted to just take this concept that grace empowers and we, we introduced a concept last week that God delivers. He doesn't just deliver uh, his grace in a random way. Let me use an analogy. Often we will read in the Psalms that God's the father to the fatherless. Wonderful concept, isn't it? Or we'll read that he's a husband to the widows. And we'll go, praise God, and we move on. And we think is, uh, God's a father to the fatherless direct or something. God's a father to the fatherless through the body of Christ. He puts his fatherhood and his parenthood in, in Christian couples and in mature single brothers and sisters who uh, act as spiritual fathers and spiritual big brothers and sisters who extend fa the family of God uh, to people. First the natural, then the spiritual. You actually come to know God your father first and foremost through the church your mother. And so... Um, you know, God is a father to the fatherless. But in and I always say that in terms of getting healed from fatherhood issues, which almost everyone has in our culture nowadays, you need to um, to get a good deal of that directly by the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit uh, bears witness to our, that of our sonship, by which we cry out, "Abba, Father." The love of God has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit and dwells us. All that's in Romans eight. So that's kind of an analogy for what I'm trying to get after today. And that is that God has delivery systems of grace. We, we can talk about grace and truth being realized in Jesus Christ. But grace and truth come to us in, in realistic, practical ways. Another analogy is when you turn on the faucet in your house, water runs out. But we, I, I don't usually stop to think about it. I do more often in my house because I have these purified water system that I designed and it's got like seven carbon filters and it's all crazy. It comes down the walls. But, you know, so I, I'm, I'm very aware that there was a delivery system to that water. But we don't really think much about how that water got there. 
The truth of the matter is, is that if you could go all the way back to the evaporation cycles over the oceans and going in, but just, just, to, just to go back as far as some city harvested that water from a river, from a pond, from a lake, somewhere. Then they purified that water to some degree. I would encourage you to drink filtered and purified water because uh, most cities don't even come close to the federal standards of minimum water as if those standards were a good guide anyway. But uh, nevertheless, it got purified in some way and cleaned up in some way. It doesn't come to you as raw sewage and so forth. And uh, it, uh, it got pumped up to a water tower. Then that water tower... Uh, is taller than your sink. And water, you know, hydraulic pressure, uh, water seeks its own less level. So the fact is, pipes go down, they go through the, the, underneath the city uh, streets and so forth. They come into a water meter, usually in your basement. And then they go through a network of pipes that actually go up. And you think, how could water go up? Well, it's because that water tower is taller than your sink. That's why the water comes out. So likewise, God has delivery systems of how he brings us grace. And as we'll look uh, further at the growing in grace, attitudes and actions and appropriating grace, um, we mistakenly think in our culture that grace, because it's free, is received passively. But grace is not only received and acknowledged actively, but the grace of God causes us to start becoming active to seek the Lord, and we seek to know him, and we seek uh, to grow in his grace by harvesting more grace. Now, that harvesting of more grace never makes us justified with God. It never makes us more loved by God. It never makes us more clean or righteous by God. That's all been accomplished when God extended us a gracious covenant through our Lord Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection on our behalf in our entering into that covenant by uh, confessing our sins, repenting, confessing him, etc. All the things that have to do with receiving Christ. But we grow in that relationship like any relationship by investing in it. Again, I don't think, uh, uh, say, a husband loves his wife anymore because when he gets home, he finds out she made him his extra best dinner uh, or whatever. He appreciates it, it enhances the relationship, but it's not the foundation of their love for one another, nor their commitment or anything like that. And you know, uh, the wife doesn't love her husband anymore because he got a raise and, uh, or whatever, and he, you know, got her a neat car or whatever. <laughs> I don't know what, I, you know, these are bad analogies, but you know, that's not the foundation of relationships. But those things do enhance relationships. And so God's delivery system to us comes through the word of God, the spirit of God, and his church. So in order for us to really think about grace correctly, one of the things we have to do is re-examine each of those things. We have to examine not only our approach, but the general approach of the body of Christ to the word of God. And we're going to actually, chapter four is going to be uh, grace delivered, the word of his grace. And we're going to look at paradigms that are out there that actually hinder us from trusting in and believing the word of God. And hinder us from understanding it and, appropriate, and, and approaching it rightly. Uh, so one of, the, 
one of the ways to grow in grace is to rediscover and restore and improve our whole approach to his work. A second way is to rediscover and, and improve our approach to being filled with and walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus went through three stages, and he's our model. He was born of the Holy Spirit, just like every one of us was, is regenerated by God, by the Holy Spirit. Jesus never needed to be regenerated. He was born without a sin nature, but he was fully human and fully God, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. Suffered under Pontius Pilate, but that's old news. That's last week's news. But uh, um, he, uh, he, however, at John's baptism, when he submitted himself to baptism with John, the Holy Spirit descended on him, and he was baptized in the Holy Spirit and led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tested by the devil. Notice he wasn't led by the devil into the wilderness. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Because the end goal was at the end, it says he came out in the power of the Spirit. And that's where God is trying to take each and every one of us. It's not enough to get initially baptized in the Spirit. It, it's, God wants to learn, teach you to be empowered by, filled with, lived by, led by, emboldened by, to, to, learn, to know how to take a drink whenever you're dry. Uh, you know, you have to get filled and filled and filled again. And then finally... There's the people of his grace. The reason we've gone back and studied how the early church was about creeds and, and communion and, and all, all those kinds of things. The reason we've tried to, since the mid-70s, to rediscover how do you help disciple and, uh, a, a Christian and, and help them grow. And we had to learn the hard way that not everyone needs the same level of discipleship. It's really to, like in raising kids that some kids need this or that depending on, you know, I remember talking, talking to, asking Pastor Brown for some advice when my kids were all, oh, six through 12 range. And I was like, that one child is just so ornery. And uh, he said, well, some kids need 30% of your best father effort and they'll turn out great. Other kids need 90% of your best father effort and you just got to focus more. And that really was good advice. And, uh, uh, likewise, all of us have different ways of growing and so forth, but all of us need personal pastoral care. Some of us need more of that than others. All of us need discipling, uh, etc. We We need to look at all the things about the church and reexamine everything about the church and get back to as many biblical ways of thinking about the church as we can. And uh, a good way, a good second source for that is to is to study how what the church practiced in the first few centuries. So now that's all to say um, this: Grace Christian Fellowship I, it, it, um, has developed some resources over the years to help us grow. And I, I want to talk about. I want to turn to John chapter uh, twenty-one, I believe. And uh, let's start in verse 15, John chapter 21, verse 15. And I'm going to give us a little different thought on these verse, verses than we might think. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to them, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He, Jesus, 
same, by the way, when the asterisk, if you have New American Standard, means it's kind of present, uh, perfect tense where he's going. He's saying, Jesus saying to him says, he's kind of trying to bring you into the, like, like it's a, uh, an ongoing drama happening right now. Jesus says to the him, tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Jesus is saying to him, and he's, as, because he's saying to us, shepherd my sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said this the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know all that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Now, um, we, we tend to, you know, the only times I've ever heard this verse, the, those verses talked about, was in the context of God restoring Peter after his denial of Christ and so forth. But it really deals with another subject. A primary uh, responsibility of the church and of church leadership. Uh, Jesus said to Peter, you're, you know, uh, Peter said, thou art the Christ. And Peter said, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you and so forth. Uh, Peter, in, in many ways in the New Testament, represents the whole concept of, of delegated authority and apostolic building and the, the apostolic model of the church and, and so forth. So God is saying to us, do you love me? If you love me, tend my sheep. Part, we've talked a lot about if you're Jesus saying, follow me and you'll become a fisher of men. If you are a follower of Christ, you, not only will you have a progressing program to learn to fish for men better and be a part of a church that, that's so oriented, you will also be a part of a group of people that's oriented towards tending my lambs, feeding my sheep. Now, again, God doesn't do that in some crazy abstract way. So I actually kind of just today want to talk about three things we've developed. I've got, you know, 15 or 20 more minutes to do that. We got started a little late, but I think I can do this in 15 or 20 minutes. Um, that we've developed as resources, okay? The first one is the Bible calendar. Um, does he put it in the bulletin every month or are they just on the back table usually? It's in the bulletin usually mon monthly, good. Now, this is kind of a, um, a concept that I came up with in 1998. I remember because I did this for eight years. And I finished the program six out of those eight years. Uh, I always, and as you'll see about this program, it's, uh, I always factor in for the fact that none of us are perfectly faithful all the time. And none of us don't have life crisis. People in your family get sick. People in your family die. Jobs get lost. Economies crash. Um, you know, life isn't the same. Life is dynamic and active. So um, there are many Bible in a year programs. And one of the things we talked about a year and a half ago in our eldership is you, we want to make it clear that you don't need to use this program. But here's what you do need to do. You need to take uh, Psalm 119 verse 160 says, the sum of thy word is truth. That's almost better than the, the verse I normally quote first is, is 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is inspired by God. And, you know, there's that old joke that all is, means all. Uh, every bit of scripture is inspired by God. But what Psalm 119 is saying is, if the sum of, of thy word uh, is truth, the truth of the matter is, is we're a body of Christians as Grace Christian Fellowship. And if we're missing Sam or Leah, we're diminished. 
right? Because the sum of, of the people in Grace Christian Fellowship makes up Grace Christian Fellowship. The, you know, no family wants to have, uh, maybe because of military service or any number of reasons, the, uh, you might have, have to have Christmas without every member of the family there. But no family really wants to do that, right? Because the sum of the family is the family, right? And uh, in fact, Larry told me a story of his brother and um, you know, uh, one of his his brother's daughter has a number of kids, and she was sick in the hospital. They actually took the whole Thanksgiving dinner to the hospital, and all the people, because she couldn't come to them, they came to her. I like that kind. Of, that's because the sum of the family is the family. So. What we have today is most Christians have read favorite parts of Scripture. Uh, Generally, Gospels, Epistles, Psalms, and Proverbs. Maybe Genesis, Exodus. But the truth of the matter is the sum of his word is truth. And the whole word of God is a revelation of Jesus Christ. So whether you use this program or not, a resource that I want to keep in front of the church uh, several times a year, especially in the later part of the year when you're planning for the coming year, is you, you've got to have a plan whereby you're reading the whole Bible on a regular basis. You just have to, whether it's every two years, every one year. Um, I, I, and, and frankly, I, I won't name names, but I've noticed a very strong correlation between those people who do that and those people who grow and develop on a steady basis. Very strong. I mean, there's almost 100% correlation in, in that regard uh, in terms of spiritual development and character development and maturity. People who don't, people who let the word of God get squeezed out of their life seldom grow much. Now, I'm going to just quickly explain this program to you uh, in case you want to use it again, even though we have many times. It, um, I've always thought that it's, most Bible programs are based on being faithful seven days a week. Most of us have the kind of either go to school or have jobs that we have the same kind of schedule five days a week. Okay, Sunday is always quite different day, frankly, if you look, study the moves of God throughout history, most on-fire moves of God had very long Sunday services. I, I, I always joked about, you know, the churches that have evening service because you should be probably just getting home in time for evening service. And you can have that at home then. You know, uh, it's the Lord's Day. We're so in a hurry to do all kinds of things, but, uh, you know, the Lord's Day is not the same as every day. So what I've developed here is a program where you have to be faithful five days a week and you use the sixth day a week, usually Saturday for most people, but you might have the kind of job where you have Wednesdays off every week. So make Wednesday your makeup day. And all this is is that if you look at the Sundays, I'm listing, I'm listing six divisions of Scripture. The New Testament, the first time through, the books of Moses, which are the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, called the Pentateuch, sometimes for the Greek word, five books. Wisdom, books, which are Job. I never read that when I was young because I thought it's a job. 
uh, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. So, um, oh, that, sorry, that's just an old stupid joke. But uh, uh, I'm sure you've all heard that one too many times. But um, the, uh, the other historical books are, of course, Joshua through Esther. Uh, if you don't know this, it, it's good to help you think, make sure you have this memorized. These are the kinds of things you really should just know and have memorized. Nine of those 12 books happen before the captivity of Israel and Judah. They're called pre-exile books. And the last three, uh, Nehemiah, Ezra, and Esther, happen after the exile as they're being restored from the captivity. Okay, then the, the poetic books, a thing that will help you with that real quick is that it, the Hebrew poetry is based on imagery, not on rhythm and rhyme. It's the powerful word picture. So take time to, whatever you're reading, picture it. Like the dog that returns to his own vomit is a fool that refeats its follies. Anyone ever seen a little dog eat their vomit? And you go like, oh, they're, they're, I can deal with, like, I could work in a hospital as long as there was just blood and, and feces and things like that. But vomit, I, I just can't handle that. <laughs> and, uh, well, it wants you to get a powerful word picture to communicate a powerful idea. Don't keep doing the same stupid thing over and over again, which we all do, of course. So the prophets are divided into five major prophets and 12 minor prophets. Hopefully this will help you. The 12 minor prophets are prophesying at specific places and times in history. As John brought out, you know, that's why the creed says he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. Um, you know, lots of the prophets stay, start off, like Hosea starts off with listing the five kings that, that were in office during the time of his ministry. And if you check that against the first few verses of Isaiah, you'll notice that Isaiah and Hosea were prophesying at the same time about the same historical events. And in fact, they traveled together. They were friends. So uh, the first nine of the minor prophets are before the exile or the captivity. The last three are after. So they correspond in time-wise to Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. And those are, of course, uh, Zechariah, Haggai, Haggai, Zechariah, and uh, Malachi. So that might help you a little bit. But um, what I've always done is this. Myself, I, I tend to take too long when I'm reading scripture. I do a lot of cross-referencing, a lot of meditating on it, thinking about it. So for eight years, I did a program where I just did three of these six each day. If you do one chapter five days a week of the New Testament, which is this designed to get you through, you'll read the New Testament every year. If you want to get through the New Testament a second time, that's why we've listed the New Testament a second time. And we've actually purpose, purposely divided the New Testament into two 130 chapter uh, divisions. If you take all the historical books and add Hebrews, that comes out to 130 chapters. All the epistles minus Hebrews is 130 chapters. So if you want to read the New Testament twice a year, you could follow that program. Again, I don't care if you use this program. I do care that you understand that you won't grow much in the Lord if you're not going to take an approach to Scripture where you understand the sum of your word is truth. Okay? Um, the reason this... 
this is so you can choose a three chapter a day program, a four chapter a day program, or a six chapter a day program, whatever you think you can handle. Always set your goals to be a little challenging, but don't set them. I, I can't remember who I was talking to. I was talking to some someone at Wright State that's not in our fellowship, but, and they were like getting all C's, D's, and F's, and they were like, I'm going to get all A's. Well, you're probably going to have to develop some study habits and character and move toward that goal over a couple of years. Not, uh, you, you're not going to get there overnight, or you're just going to get, set, you set yourself up for defeat. All right. We're running out of time, so I want to get us right to the second one. Is called, this is a, um, a teaching we did that's the first part of a 26-part series. I took uh, a lot of the Wright State people through about five or six of these uh, studies this fall and winter, and, uh, or fall semester. Um, but it's called The Bible on the Import, Bible, Importance of Bible Study. I'm going to skip for a minute to Roman numeral 2. All this is, is approximately 70 scripture verses on why the scriptures say you should study the scriptures. And I've arranged them by 14 topics. So it's good to think in terms of things like topic number four is the Bible provides sustenance. Over and over again, the Bible compares itself to nutrition, bread, meat, milk, and various things you eat. And I think it's, for me, it's been very helpful since I have this problem of food uh, to think about, do I love the Bible and reading it as much as I love food? And do I take as serious of an approach about it as I take about food? You know, um, so forth. Of course, the, my first, the first one that I listed is that your, Jesus said, uh, somebody quoted this scripture recently, and whoever was given the testimonies, I think maybe Leah, John 5.39, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have, you'll find eternal life. The scriptures bear witness of me. But there's several scriptures here under, under Roman numeral 2.1 that tell us if you want to know Jesus, read his word. It's how he actually speaks to us. And no relationship happens without speaking. Okay. Now, the last point talks about Psalm, Roman numeral three on the very end, talks about Psalm 119. This is, I'm just, I've designed this for this purpose. If for some reason your Bible study is lacking in your Christian life, uh, there's lots of reasons that happens. Some people uh, let it get pushed out of their life through overscheduling, but whatever reason, you're not hungry enough for the scripture, this Bible study is designed to develop a hunger over time. Psalm 119 is what's called an acrostic psalm. Every, there's uh, eight verses in each uh, stanza, and there's a, one stanza for each letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So that comes out to, I believe it's 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, uh, or is it 24? I always forget. But it comes out to enough that if you read one each day, if you were faithful three out of four days, you would read the Psalm 119 once a month. If, you're, if you find yourself uh, slacking off in your Bible reading or you get knocked off track or so forth, try that approach. Try reading eight verses of Psalm 119 every day. I used to read Proverbs uh, every day, and I would read the date that goes corresponds to the month 
and there's 31 Proverbs in 30 days in some months and 31 days in other months. And I, I wasn't trying to be a virtuous wife, so I could skip uh, 30, 31 sometimes. But no, I'm just kidding. But uh, what I found out is if you're, if you're faithful three out of four days, over a course of a year, you'll read Proverbs nine times. Or no, eight times. Uh, so uh, that's, that's a, in what, when I became a Christian, you know, the, the Proverbs often, they're couplets. So it'll say the wise man does this, the fool does this. A couplet either restates the same thing twice, like the dog that returns his vomits. That's the same thing said twice is the fool repeats his folly. Or it says the opposite to make, so the wise man is this and a fool is this. When I first came to Christ, I was a fool according to the definition of Proverbs, not, you know, like we do cut up wars and we think, think it's a terrible thing to say you're a fool. Well, no, I had foolish behaviors uh, and about 90% of the Proverbs, I did the foolish side of the equation. And I've asked the Lord to change that over the years and worked on changing that over the years. Hopefully I, you know, I 80 or 90% of the, the ones I do the wise man side of it now, I hope, God knows. Does everyone get that? So the same thing with Psalm 119. If, you, if you're lacking reading scripture, try reading a stanza of that. Now, let's go all the way back to Roman numeral one because I want to focus on that. And we may not get to the, th uh, well, we'll mention the third resource today. Uh, tips to getting started. What, those, what, what A, B, and C there does is tells you this. Good or bad, every appetite is growable. When you feed a desire, it, uh, you, you temporarily satisfy it, whether it's for sex, sleep, food, but in so satisfying it, it comes back stronger the next time. Okay, so you can starve certain unwanted pleasures and so forth, but that also works of positive things. When you read the Bible, you'll want more of the Bible. When you're hungry for God, you'll be more hungry for God. And in fact, if you're not passionately hungry for God, that's a problem. But if you just like, oh, I don't know the Lord enough. I want to know more. I need more of God. That, that begets more of that. Uh, my, I always use the classic example of my good friend, Mike Texera, who I still talk to on the phone several times a year. And we talk a few times on Facebook, different things. But Mike is a marathon runner. He, when he moved back to Rochester, somebody said, why don't you join our running club on Saturdays? He didn't know what he was getting himself into. So they run all the time, and they, he runs one or two 26-mile marathons a year. He runs a bunch of the 13-mile ones and, you know, the 10K ones. And, and then that, what happened is over time, any appetite, it's just like an addiction. It wasn't satisfying enough, so he started doing these uh, triathlon things where you swim a mile and you and your bike, and, and all these kind of things. And he, literally, I went to a Christian conference with Mike, and in the morning, I get up, and I'm addicted to, I'd like to have a nice cup of coffee and read my Bible. But Mike, he was like, I, 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 I wonder if they got a weightlifting room here. I, I, you know, we're, you know I, I'll be back after I do my run. He'd get, get his shoes on, he'd go running for half an hour or an hour, and then he'd go, then he'd have to hit the weight room. Sometimes he works out twice every day. He actually got, had a professional kind of office job 
where he didn't really need more income, but he got a side job at the Y because it enabled him to belong to the Y for free and work out. He could, it was allowed to work out if it was slow. <laughs> He's addicted to working out. Um, really, that is a, if, read through the tip one there because we're, we're out of time and I do want to mention real quick the last thing because, sorry, Emily. <laughs> Emily and I, uh, was going to, uh, have whatever time was left to rebut or correct anything I might say wrong. Emily and I have been working on this, mostly Emily. Well, I, she started with my uh, old one, and we've been working on this. And what you have here is called our recommended foundational book list. It's divided by 15 topics. Of course, topic 15 is a general topic. But we would encourage you to consider reading um, one book at least from each topic. You know, I have an old saying, the strength, uh, the, the height and weight of the goal must be based upon the strength and depth of the foundation. We think of laying a Christian foundation as taking some 12-week class in, a, in America today, or a six-week class, or having going through the four spiritual laws and have you made the discovery of the spirit-filled life. All that's wonderful, but you're building a foundation for now and eternity. If you are under 30 years old in this room, you will probably serve the Lord somewhere between 40 and 70 more years. Now, if you are going to spend five years being serious about building a foundation, that's a minimal investment in a foundation for a good life. See, it's not a 12-week class. So um, Emily has done a really good job here. There's little boxes you can check when you've read the book. Uh, she's trying to, we're working toward having every one of the books available. We're going to reformat uh, part of this whole remodel that hopefully will all be done by August. We're going to reformat that back uh, area to, to be nicer for a bookstore. Uh, we're going to lend them or, or sell them. Uh, and she, you know, she'll, she's already talked a little bit about how to sign them out. We'll try to keep that in front of you. It, um, as time goes on. But I would really encourage you to be a reader. Again, they say the most common characteristic of every successful CEO or C-level, um, when you talk about C, like chief financial officer, chief operating officer, chief executive officer, all those kind of people, the most successful ones read a lot of books about a lot of different subjects. That's that's the most common characteristic that that those people share in common, is they read a lot of books about a lot of subjects, and a lot of articles about a lot of subjects, and, and so forth.